The future is a hefty responsibility and not one that we take lightly. But then taking things lightly has never been what hefty is about. That's why we've created the Hefty Renew program that turns hard to recycle plastics into valuable resources like park benches and building materials. To participate, simply fill up an orange Hefty Renew bag with accepted items, tie it up, and drop it in with your regular recycling. That's it. It's that easy. It's time to rethink recycling with Renew. Particular valued resources may vary by geography. More info available at heftyrenew.com. History tells the story of the world and of our lives. Sometimes that history goes bump in the night. Broadcasting from the center of oddity and the supernatural in central Florida, it's the History Goes Bump podcast. Hello, you spooktacular people. Welcome to this 87th episode of the History Goes Bump podcast. Ghost tours for the theater of the mind. I am your host, Diane. And this is Denise. And on this episode, we are talking about... Santa? Not Santa. Krampus. Krampus, the legend of Krampus. This was suggested to us by our listener, Elora. She also helped us with some of the research. And we also got research assistance from Carbon Lilies, part of our research crew. Thank you so much to all of them for helping us out with this. I didn't know a whole lot about Krampus before we started down this road. And there probably are quite a few listeners who may not know too much about Krampus either. So we're going to educate everybody a little bit about this character that is quite different than Santa Claus. Right. And I don't think we'll hear his story around the world at Epcot either. Well, you know, in Norway, they have that character in uh, Epcot. Right. Yulanissa. Yes. He's kind of a bad guy, naughty little thing. Well, not if you leave him porridge. So if you leave him porridge, then he leaves you something nice. Yes, I believe so. But if you if you don't get on his good side, then he can wreak all sorts of havoc in your life. Well, Krampus does a lot more than wreak havoc in people's lives. Alrighty then. <laughs> I would not want him to come visit us. But before we share the details about him, we want to direct you at our website, historyghostbump.com. And if you would like to send us an email, how can they do that, Denise? They can do that at historyghostbump at gmail.com. And we have been getting a lot of emails. Thank you so much for sending those. We've heard from Lisa, Nick, and Stephen all sending us some suggestions about places they'd like to hear about on the show. So we thank you for that. Absolutely. We also got some comments over at the website. Janet, who apparently is in Australia, said that she was really excited that we had Pentridge Prison because... It's another Australian site, and it's only a couple hours' drive from where she lives. Oh, very cool. So we'll see if she heads on over there. And Tina over on the fan page said, Love the show. Thank you, Bizarre States, for the recommendation. I'm completely caught up on all the episodes, hoping to get to listen to Haunted True Crime soon. So thank you for those comments, Tina. Absolutely. Thank you, Tina. Don Atlas sent us a tweet over at Twitter. Thank you for that. Every time I hear a tweet, I think of that song, Rockin' Robin. <laughs> and we got a comment over on the website from, get a load of this name, Denise. It's Tihana. Tihana, almost like Tiana. Almost like Tiana, pretty darn close. And thank you 
for including the pronunciation of your name. Yes, <laughs> we thank greatly you. appreciate that. Since we do so well on our pronunciations <laughs> on this show. <laughs> Hi, ladies. Just wanted to send you a quick thank you for putting out a fantastic podcast. I like your lighthearted chit chat and joking around. You keep me laughing. I started listening a couple months ago and I'm now working my way through the older episodes and always find myself eagerly awaiting your next episode. Keep up the great work. Much love from Toronto, Ontario. So there's somebody else in Ontario. Excellent. So I've got that on my sooner rather than later radar for a road trip meetup. Then we got a five-star review from Australia. Another Australian. Jay Sheppy, Diane and Denise present this well-researched, fun and interesting podcast. They create such a warm atmosphere. It's like chatting over historical tidbits with old friends. They have also... Hey, fos- I'm not that old. <laughs> I don't know. Should we take that wrong? I don't know. Everybody's calling us aunties. I wonder <laughs> our old aunties. <laughs> they have also fostered a really welcoming and open community in their fan base, which is so lovely. History Goes Bump may discuss some spooky topics, but these ladies are so sweet, you'll never get too scared. Oh, darn it. I try to be so creepy. And now we're getting ready to do Krampus. Oops. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> we're about to go there. <laughs> well, I wonder, have they done the Mary, Bloody Mary Bloody Mary is pretty intense. A lot of people say that urban, because we did a, a, quite a few urban legends in yeah. with that one, and they said that one pretty much creeped them out. Yeah. Urban legends are pretty creepy, though. They are, because there's that subtle truth to them, which just makes you wonder, hmm, could it happen? Plus, I think a lot of us, urban legends go back to our childhood. We got a five-star review from here in America from Storlead. I'm hoping I'm saying that right, 04, or else it's Storlied. The store lied when they said it was Black Friday and on sale and they had plenty. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, so how did we go from a five-star review to Black Friday shopping? (laughs) Only on History Goes Bump, I guess. Well, I'm just trying to figure out how to... This name, how you would say it. History at its best. I heard about this podcast through Bizarre States, and I was hooked on the first episode I listened to. Super spooky facts about historical places and events. Great sound quality, and I'm already making a list of places to visit. Keep up the great work. Yay! That's what we always want to hear is people are making lists of places that they want to visit too. And then we have a load of people to welcome to the Spooktacular crew. We have Jenny Lee. Hey, Jenny Lee. Caitlin. Hey, Caitlin. Sheila. Hi, Sheila. Sean. Hey, Sean. Jose. Hey, Jose. Ruth. Hello, Ruth. Frank. Hi, Frank. Chastity. Hey, Chastity. Desiree. Hey, Desiree. It's either Ada or Ada. I'm thinking Ada. Hello, Ada. And Michelle. Hi, Michelle. Denise. Are you ready to meet the not-so-nice, I don't even think you'd call him a Christmas elf, the Christmas demon? <laughs> uh, sure. Become an executive producer of the History Goes Bump podcast for as little as a buck a month. For $5 a month, you can access exclusive content like the Haunted True Crime bonus cast. And for $10 and above a month, you get all that plus awesome History Goes Bump gear. Check out patreon.com slash historygoesbump for more information. Or you can give us a one-time donation by clicking the donate button at historygoesbump.com. This moment in oddity was suggested by Spooktacular crew member Shelby. The Japanese called it the Mano Umi, the Sea of the Devil. Everybody else calls it the Dragon's Triangle. 
It is nearly opposite the Bermuda Triangle and often compared to it for good reason. It is the cause of many ships and planes mysteriously disappearing. Some believe that Amelia Earhart went missing because of the Dragon's Triangle. Other phenomena have been linked to the area, including ghost ships, USOs, lapses in time, and electronic equipment malfunctions. Some researchers claim that seismic events, volcanoes, and other natural occurrences cause most of the paranormal activity within the Dragon's Triangle. It is true that the area is volcanically active and small islands seem to appear and disappear regularly. But does this really explain how ships and planes could just disappear? Or in most recent news reports, could this cause several large wooden ghost ships full of decaying bodies to wash up on Japanese shores? At least 12 wooden boats have been found in the Sea of Japan over the past two months carrying the decaying bodies of 22 people. The bodies were described as partially skeletonized. One boat had only six skulls in it, and another had two bodies without their heads. The bodies probably belonged to people defecting from North Korea out of desperation, and who could blame them? The ships are old and hard to steer. Could wandering through the Dragon's Triangle make things even worse? The Triangle takes its name from the dragons that were believed to live in the area. And while these fire-breathing dragons were probably volcanoes, who knows if dragons just might have been dotting the landscape. No matter the explanation, the things that happen around the Dragon's Triangle certainly are odd. Pull the covers up tight. That chill you feel isn't the air conditioning. <laughs> this day in history. This day in history is brought to us by April and Cortland Rogers Crick. And in keeping with the theme of abandoned ghost ships, on this day, December 4th, in 1872, the Mary Celeste was found abandoned off the coast of Portugal. The British brig De Gratia had left New York shortly after the Mary Celeste, and it was her crew that discovered the ghost ship. Captain David Morehouse sent a crew off to the ship to see if it needed assistance. The crew found no one aboard, but belongings were still inside the ship. The sails were still set. Six months' worth of food was still on board. The only lifeboat was missing, and there was three and a half feet of water in the bottom of the ship. The Mary Celeste had a crew of seven, plus the captain, his wife, and their daughter. After a thorough investigation, no one could figure out why the crew would leave the ship. It had a working pump, and the water in the bottom of the ship was normal for a ship left afloat with no crew. The compass was damaged, and the clock was not working, but this would not call for abandonment. A sextant in the ship's log and papers were missing. But something else was missing that struck investigators as very odd. The Mary Celeste had been hauling 1,700 barrels of alcohol used to fortify wine. Nine of those barrels were empty. Where had the alcohol gone? The boarding party from the De Gratia sailed the Mary Celeste to Gibraltar to claim a reward. The reward was less than expected and might have been less because some suspected foul play on the part of the De Gratia crew. The top theory as to what happened to the Mary Celeste is that the alcohol barrels were empty because they had leaked, causing intense fumes. The hatches were open, but the captain decided to have the crew and his family get into a lifeboat that they tied onto the ship to wait for the fumes to dissipate. Somehow the lifeboat floated away, leaving those aboard at the mercy of the sea. 
Sometime later, a boat full of horribly decomposed bodies washed up on shore in Spain. Was this the crew of the Mary Celeste? We'll never know. If you would like more information on the Mary Celeste, April and Cortland did a lot more research on this, which you can find in the show notes for today's episode. You're listening to History Goes Bump. It's the most wonderful time of the year With the kids jingle bells Merry Christmas! Looks like Martha Stewart threw up in here. This is delicious, honey. A little dry. Well, mine's delicious. Mine's dry. Do you want to trade? It's the It's Christmas. It's Christmas. It's Christmas. With those holiday greetings and greetings. How are we going to survive Christmas with 12 people stuck in a house with no heat and no electricity? Or food. There's plenty of leftovers, Howard. Beer it is. It's the weirdest thing. There's no cars, no people. How long can this keep up? something on the roof the hell is this saint nicholas is not coming this year instead a much darker ancient spirit those are hooves elk or a goat kind of goat walks on its hind legs his name is krampus He and his helpers did not come to give, but to take. Everybody, hold on to each other. He is the shadow of Saint Nicholas. There are Christmas trees and reindeer and candy canes, but Santa Claus is probably one of the most familiar images intertwined with Christmas. Most of us as kids were raised with the warning that you better be good for goodness sake, or you would end up on Santa's naughty list and thus receive coal in your stocking. But as we trace back the various traditions associated with the holiday season, we come upon a character that has been around longer than good old St. Nick, and the warnings that came with him were far more dire. On this episode, we will explore the origins, history, and terror that are a part of the legend of Krampus. During the 4th century AD, Roman influence caused many Germanic tribes, such as the Goths and the Vandals, to convert to Christianity. Their pagan traditions managed to survive in small villages in the Alps where the church couldn't penetrate. One of those pagan traditions involved Krampus. The name Krampus is derived from the German word Krampen, meaning claw. 
It is believed that Krampus started appearing sometime between the 11th and 13th centuries in southern Germany and Austria, the area known as Bavaria. Before spreading to Switzerland, Hungary, the Czech Republic, and even the Alp villages of Italy under different names. Necht Ruprecht, Serta, Black Peter, Schmolzi, Pelsnickel, and Klaufboff. And I'm sure I killed some of those, to name a few. The legend is said to have originated from a German folktale. There are some who claim that Krampus is a representation of the son of hell, ruler of the underworld in Norse mythology. This is up for debate as most Norse mythology comes from the more northern regions of the area, while Krampus was more a southerly fixture. But it was in 1250 AD that King's Mirror, a Norwegian text, featured a wild man character who was described as being covered in hair. Having his roots in dramatic tradition, Krampus is the companion of St. Nicholas. He is no cutesy little elf, however, but a beast out of your worst nightmares. He is almost something like an evil twin to Santa. The difference to us would be as if you were comparing God to Satan. And the descriptions of Krampus are quite similar to the traditional ideas about Satan. Krampus rises to the height of seven feet and has long goat horns, cloven hooves, pointed ears, bulging eyes, and is entirely covered with dark, matted hair. One of his most recognizable features is a huge pointed tongue protruding from between sharp fangs that moves around whip-like. Not only is he terrifying to behold, but his actions make him the perfect horror movie star. Which is one of the reasons why we picked today as the day that we did this show. Because today, the Krampus movie is coming out in theaters. They've said it's a horror comedy. I'm not exactly sure what that means. I don't know if that's the new term for black comedy. Horror comedy. It's so Maybe. scary. Then, then they laugh when people like me go f running out the door screaming. Yeah, because to me, to take horror and make it a comedy seems like you'd almost take away from it. Now, I know like Freddy Krueger could make some jokes and things in his movies that would be kind of comedic in a way. But I don't know, a horror comedy. It's weird, but that's how they're describing it. So well, I guess some of our listeners, if you want to go see the movie Krampus, because I will not... <laughs> be watching that movie probably I'll, I'll never say never but i doubt very strongly that i will be going to see krampus so why don't you write in and let us know the future is a hefty responsibility and not one that we take lightly but then taking things lightly has never been what hefty is about that's why we've created the hefty renew program that turns hard to recycle plastics into valuable resources like park benches and building materials To participate, simply fill up an orange Hefty Renew bag with accepted items, tie it up, and drop it in with your regular recycling. That's it. It's that easy. It's time to rethink recycling with Renew. Particular valued resources may vary by geography. More info available at heftyrenew.com. While Satan might bring coal to bad kids, Krampus brings true punishment. He carries with him bells, birch stick switches, whips, and rusty chains and uses them on naughty children before throwing them in his basket and dragging them to the underworld, where they would serve him until they repented, or even for their whole lives, or even more frightening, he may even eat them. The bells he carries are rung to warn the children that he is coming. Quite different than the bell ringing in the movie A Wonderful Life, where such a sound was equated with an angel getting his wings, not a child getting an extreme punishment. One can imagine that this would be quite persuasive in getting children to be on their very best behavior all year long. Some believe that the chains are carried by Krampus as a carryover from Christianity. As Christianity adopted pagan traditions and altered them to fit its customs, 
It's believed that Krampus became a representation of Satan, and thus the chains symbolize Satan being bound to the church. Krampus was given his own night, which is still observed today. Krampus Snatch, also referred to as Krampus Night, which is celebrated on December 5th. On this night, Krampus runs around making loud noises and scaring the children. It is customary to offer a drink of warm schnapps to Krampus. This tradition has inspired Krampus Lauf, which is Krampus Run, where intoxicated partygoers dress as devils, wild men and witches bearing torches, and they run through the streets terrifying children and adults alike. The trend has caught on, spreading to other parts of Europe, like France and Finland, and even many American cities like Philadelphia, Portland, Rochester, Los Angeles, and others. Some of these festivals can last for days. So this sounds like an excuse for people to get drunk and run around the streets like crazy people. Exactly. They better be careful, though, because remember that clown on Halloween that was jumping out and like running after the kids? And I was ready to go over and take care of some clown action, scaring the little kids. Because it's fun to scare them a little bit, but this guy was creeping me out. Or girl. Well, this would be a whole bunch of freaks running through the streets screaming and (laughs) wearing masks and just carousing. I know, but that that would be icky, don't you think? Well... To me, it would be icky in the way that you've got a bunch of drunk people running around like a a demon. (laughs) That would be a little bit weird to me, but I don't have a problem with people dressing up and everything. The problem is when you add the alcohol into this kind of stuff, then it's just like, great. But if they're celebrating Krampus, that's kind of, that'd be like running around celebrating Gacy or something. (laughs) Well, there might be a Gacy run too. I'm not sure. I don't know. He's somebody who is held in high esteem in some places that they really enjoy. It's that that dark side that everybody likes to embrace, you know. Are you going to break out in the song? Everybody has a dark side. Do you love me? Do you love mine? Sure. (laughs) Another tradition has Krampus joining St. Nicholas on Christmas Eve so that he can handle Santa's naughty list. He did seem to fall by the wayside for a bit, but then Krampus started to regain acceptance and a following in the 19th century, thanks in part to the Brothers Grimm. And Krampus got a quick reference in the 1835 book, Deutsche Mythologie. I'm sure I said that wrong, too. In the early 19th century, Krampus began appearing on greeting cards, and soon there was a Krampus card for every St. Nicholas card. So that's how popular he was. And we're not even talking New England here. These greeting cards depicted the creature in all his glory. A peculiar way to wish someone happy holidays. (laughs) And don't get any ideas, Miss Diane. Oh, man, I was thinking of some great Christmas cards for this year. (laughs) (laughs) No. Oh, you ruined all my fun. Uh, Anyway, if you guys would like to see more of these greeting cards, I did find this fabulous book. And we do have a link to it in the show notes today that has, I think, over 180 of the different greeting cards from back in the day. And they're very cool. It's called Krampus, the Devil of Christmas. And I have a link to it over in Amazon if you'd like to get a hold of that and find out a little bit more about Krampus as well. The Catholic Church has outlawed the observation of Krampus Night at various times in history. Here's something really fascinating. During the reign of the Third Reich, Krampus was outlawed as being a socialist, but was allowed to invade the streets again when World War II came to an end. Yes, even the Nazis feared Krampus. Oh, wow. Probably because they knew they were naughty as heck. That's true. Wasn't it interesting that their main issue was that they associated him with socialism? 
So he's a socialist. I didn't know that Krampus had politics, but apparently they thought he was a socialist, so they needed to outlaw him. <laughs> I wonder him. if they send him like the little card. Here, it's time to go vote. <laughs> From the Socialist Party or something. Vote Hitler. <laughs> Although St. Nicholas has been given the job of punishing naughty kids by either not bringing them presents or leaving them coal in their stockings, Krampus is making a comeback and has become commercialized. You can find him everywhere from t-shirts to comic books and even Hollywood horror movies. Krampus has been on American Dad, Supernatural, The Colbert Report, and Grimm. When discussing a creature like Krampus, it is only fitting to discuss someone else who appears in the folklore of the Alp regions and is sometimes seen as a partner to Krampus, and that is Perchta. She is sometimes described as a goddess of light, but she has a dual nature and the other side is quite horrific and the one that is focused upon at Christmas time. Perchta was described as roaming the countryside in Bavaria during the winter. She would enter homes during the 12 days between Christmas and Epiphany. And apparently she had been watching the children because she knew who had been good and who had been bad. Good kids got coins in their shoes, but woe to the bad kids because Perchta was worse than Krampus. You're probably wondering what could be worse than getting beaten with a switch and carried down to hell. I don't know, but I'm sure you're getting ready to tell us. <laughs> I am. She would just slit their bellies open then and there. She'd clean out their guts and stuff them with straw. That's not only horrific, it's downright disgusting. I bet these kids ate their porridge after that, tail. Yeah, I was about to say, not after that. I'm glad you <laughs> clarified tail. Yeah, I don't think, without a stomach, they're not going to be able to eat their porridge. Oh. I don't know why she stuffed them with straw, if that was some kind of a, look, I'm going to make you a scarecrow. Maybe that's where scarecrows originated. Another research project for you, my dear. Indeed. Many of the pictures we have seen of this female entity look very similar to Krampus. So she's got the horns and the ears and the fur. It's like when she's in her goddess form, she looks like a woman in a dress. But when she's flipped over to the bad side, that dual nature, she looks almost exactly like Krampus. Except for with lipstick. I'm just kidding about the lipstick. <laughs> hey, Denise, a yes. match made in hell, perhaps? Perhaps. Mummery is also something that has ancient folklore ties and is a European practice that takes place during the winter solstice or the holiday season. Mummers are people who perform in disguises that represent creatures, animals, mythic figures, and the like. One of those characters would be Krampus. So basically, those that dress up on Krampus night are mummers. Mummery is believed to be the inspiration for dressing up on Halloween. Newfoundland has a mummers festival every year, and it is believed that Newfoundland is where mummery got its start. The practice had all but died out in 1861 when a bill was passed making it illegal for people to wear masks in public without official permission from the government after a man named Isaac Mercer was killed by a bunch of mummers. Today, it is experiencing a resurgence. Philadelphia hosts the Mummers Parade every year to bring in the new year. It started in the 1800s and was made official in 1900. The parade features music, pageantry, and unique costumes. And they also live stream it now, and we do have a link to that in the show notes as well. Is it the resurgence in pagan religions, hunger for a darker, nightmare-before-Christmas-style holiday, or possibly a world of increasingly dissatisfied and spoiled children that is the reason for the renewed interest in the Christmas demon? Could Krampus be here to scare these spoiled kids straight? We know that St. Nick is based on a real person in history, 
Did a creature like Krampus ever exist? That is for you to decide. Well, I'm certainly hoping that Krampus doesn't make a visit to our house. Yeah, and I don't know why we take this show while it's dark outside, because now I have to try to go to sleep. Well, we usually do do our shows at night. I know, but Krampus is really creepy. The other ghosts are kind of like not so creepy. Well, you have nothing to fear if you're good. He only That's takes... what I'm saying. <laughs> <laughs> he only takes the bad kids. You haven't been bad this last year. Denise, everybody that listens thinks you are sweet, sweet, sweet. Let's not burst their bubble. But you always say I'm naughty. <laughs> well, <laughs> but it's naughty in a fun way. Not in a, like, you're not evil. <laughs> well, thank you for that one. There's some people who might beg to differ, but thank you. Uh, on our next show, we're going to go to a sanitarium. Another sanitarium. Homestead Sanitarium. This one was suggested by our listener, Sarah from St. Louis. Hey, Sarah. Thanks for the suggestion. So we're looking forward to exploring that. We do want to thank you all for listening to this one. And, you know, if you go out to see the Krampus movie, tell us what you think. We're kicking off the Christmas season. And the research crew member, Carbon Lilies, who helped us out with the research on this one, they actually are doing a 12 Days of Christmas movie marathon type thing. So if I was you guys, I would follow them over on Facebook and check out what movies they're putting up. They did the 31 Days of Halloween. Now they're going to do the 12 Days of Christmas. Does the 12 Days of Christmas start 12 days prior to Christmas? Or? Well, they already put up the first movie, which is The Muppets Christmas Carol. Oh, okay. So, oh, you know what? They're actually showing that over at Mickey's Retreat with food trucks. Oh, well, then we'll have to go over there and yeah. watch it. Yeah, definitely. Very cool. One of the nice things about living near the parks, fun little things like that. And speaking of Carbon Lilies and the 31 Days of Halloween, they did an interview with Patrick Keller over at the Big Seance Podcast. It was his most recent episode, and it was very fun to listen to all the movies that they saw. And I tried to watch some of them and tried to keep up, but even though I was the one who's like, yeah, I watch a movie every day, it just, there's just not enough time. Well, not this year, especially October. We were slammed because we were trying to put out extra shows. We had house guests. We had out-of-town companies. So. But the 12 days of Christmas, I think I should be able to take part in most of that because I'm going to have some downtime here. Yeah, so you're the only person I know who's like, yay, I'm going to have surgery so I can relax. <laughs> it gives me an excuse to take a break because I don't normally do that. So Nope. So I would rather go get a massage. She goes and gets surgery. Well, it's not that I want to, but <laughs> I'm trying to see the good side of uh, having surgery and major surgery. So <laughs> I'll be laid up for a few weeks. And don't forget, we are hosting a contest in December. The deadline is Christmas Eve, December the 24th, because we will be doing the drawing on Christmas Day. You need to do one of the following things to be entered in our drawing. You either need to sign up for the newsletter if you've already done that, you're automatically entered. You need to join the Spooktacular crew over at Facebook. If you've done that, you're already entered. If you're an executive producer of the show, you're already entered. Or you can send us an email and in the subject line put December contest and we will go ahead and enter you in. And the prizes that we are going to be rewarding in this contest, since it's Christmas, we're going to do a couple of things. Number one, you will get a History Goes Bump logo coffee mug. And also the book Ghostly Cries from Dixie, which is written by Pat Fitzhugh. And this has some great locations in it from Waverly Hills TB Sanatorium to the Devil's Tramping Ground, the Bell Witch, which Pat is an expert on, the Greenbrier Ghost, the Gray Man, 
the LaLaurie Mansion, and even the Haunted Lighthouse at St. Augustine, which you've heard about here on the show. So there's a lot of great material in this book. So just do one of those things, and we will go ahead and get you guys entered in the contest. And the reason why we're doing this is because we did get $100 in donations in the month of November. These contributions do go to the overhead of the show, which includes all of the hosting of the show and the website, getting access to various research sites, getting new equipment, and of course, for our time. And every little bit does help from a dollar to however much you might be able to give. And perhaps with the coming new year in 2016, you might consider making it a goal to become one of our executive producers. We would greatly appreciate it. The show will always be free, but we sure would love to expand and to bring you guys more content, longer content, be able to go more in depth. But as you hear on every other podcast out there, we just don't have the time for it. So any little bit does help us. And we are entirely listener supported. You're not going to hear ads on here. We don't do the listener supported and ads. We're just doing listener supported. So you guys help to make the show. Now get over to your computer. And if you haven't already done it, do one of those four things and we will go ahead and enter you in. We want to thank everybody for listening to this episode. I've been your host, Diane. And this has been Denise. You take care now. Bye-bye. Executive producers of this episode have been Levi Drescher, Dan Foytick, Janice Carlson, Stephen Pappas, Heather Williams, Dave and Ann Student, Amy Connor, Tanya Turner, Nicole Johnson, Leanna Sapien, Jade Lewis, and Jade just got her mug. I know. She was drinking coffee out of it or something the other day. April Rogers-Crick. Laura Davis. Seth Crawford. Tracy Duhon. Josh Wood. Barbara Metzgrudeau. Laura S. And Ashley Davis. Thank you. Societies rise and societies fall. When the time comes, one society steps forward to build a better future. The Wicked Library... Kettle Whistle Radio, Night Story Podcast, Prog Watch, Red Horse Radio, The Lift, History Goes Bump, Listen, The M Writing Podcast, Society 13, Rebuilding Society, One Podcast at a Time. Have a spooky experience that occurred at an historic location? Want to give us feedback or have a suggestion for the show? Share it with us at historygoesbump at gmail.com.